can't believe all this news that's happening on the crypto markets. It's so exciting. I, so I couldn't exciting. even I wake up. I wake up every morning and I just can't wait to get to work. Yeah, when the biggest news is that Bitcoin moved $400 uh, and that it quote-unquote rocked the altcoin market, I think we're grasping at straws. But no, no, no. The biggest I mean, news is, this is seasonal? one of the news outlets that I follow, Scott, the, the, the news they reported today was Bitcoin moves to Dubai. I'm not kidding. Yeah, did, by the way, he said his business was moving to Dubai. I saw in a tweet. I doubt he's actually moving to Dubai. He would need but, to. Uh, is that really he, worth it? He would yeah. need to. He would need to at some point. Huge yeah. news. You've considered it. Yeah, but to be I, fair. I, I, yeah, I mean, I must say, I do, I do think it's a good place. Like, it's a good place for for me to go. But I, I mean, for now, I'm happy in Cape Town. I think Cape Town's the best place in the world. You owe me a visit, by the way. <laughs> I know we're gonna we're gonna make it over there for sure. We well, no, well, the, uh, well, you're welcome to come visit me, but you cannot take any more leave from spaces. <laughs> come on, man. I take one week. God <laughs> sakes. One week a month. You know? and, I, and I was here three of the five days anyways. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's not this. I mean, it's really boring on the market. It's really, really, really boring on the market. But I mean, I, I guess there, there are a few things happening. The, the bank downgrade is quite a big story, I think. I think the... Uh, the thing, the Coinbase leverage is a massive story, actually. I think that that's, that's a big, big, big story. I agree. Have we gotten clarity, though? I've been sort of digging into it, whether it's uh, simply for accredited investors or if it's going to be a full-on leverage fiesta. It doesn't like matter. We've seen it doesn't matter. Platforms. It doesn't matter. It's the first leverage platform in the, in the United States, isn't it? Well, Kraken had 5x leverage. I don't even know if they still do, but uh, Kraken offered leverage forever. And obviously, you have Bitcoin futures on CME and such. So is this Coinbase competing with CME and other institutions for accredited investors and institutional futures? Or is it, you know, Binance 100x leverage? I know it's not that. Even if they had leverage, it would be low leverage. But I'm just trying to figure out if this is available to retail or if it's, you know, simply opening up the doors for institutions to do it there instead of the CME. And and I have not been able to find any clarity on that. But obviously, we have sort of the uh, topic today at hand, which is uh, the market seems to have stalled to whatever degree, talking about the the global market. And, you know, yesterday, I think we beat China uh, to death pretty good, but it's a, it's a huge story. You obviously mentioned Japan. We're starting to see, I think, a lot of signals that the tide could be turning. I, I think bulls are pretty set in their ways and, and don't think it's important, but bears are starting to do the I told you so. It's all about to crash, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, there, there was a story that I covered on the show today, which was around the bank downgrades. And what we note, what I noticed is that every time that the, that the banks have been downgraded, um, that's usually the beginning of the up cycle on the market. So it's the, it's the end of the down cycle in terms of sentiment and the beginning of the up cycle on the markets. So maybe let's just downgrade these banks and just get it over and done with. Yeah, I mean, still, it's it's surprising to see those downgrades being considered across the board. I mean, I'd love to get our, our uh, speakers in here. We, I see Gareth just popped up, and so I think good time. He's the king of the market update. I mean, Gareth, what are you seeing today? We have all this conversation about these moves in the markets at the SBY, or the stock market was down yesterday very briefly and kind of had a matching wick on Bitcoin, which we haven't seen in a while. But more importantly, I think the narrative there was that Bitcoin coughed, right? I mean, we're talking about 300, 400, maybe $600 move peak to trough, but all coins, some of them were down as much as 10, 12, 13%. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting yesterday. I saw that you had posted something later in the day about that fake news that had popped up. I don't know if that had something directly related to the kind of the flush there in in Bitcoin, but I also know that the markets at the same time, the S&P 500 also kind of took a little bit of a tumble. So again, looking at like the dollar and the 10-year yield and the Japanese, uh, the US dollar to the yen is just continuing to be such an important player here. Um, the other thing too is, you know, you look at tech stocks and you look at big cap tech and NVIDIA just is is absolutely amazing in its ability to keep at least the markets relatively buoyant right now. Um, yesterday was tremendously strong the day before and so forth. So so I think there's this this kind of buy the dip mentality that's been ingrained since really 2020 where and even before that, I mean, let's go back to 2009 when the Fed began to kind of, you know, put a cushion under the market and it's told people that every time there's a dip, you just buy the dip, buy the dip. 
And so you're still seeing that, right? I mean, we've had we had about a week down in in the markets, um, maybe two weeks down in the markets, and now it's right back to saying, okay, we got the dip. Now let's all rush in and buy it, and we'll go back to new highs. So at least for me, it's not so much a specific news event. I mean, we saw the negative China news, but then the markets again saw downside yesterday, and then kind of today we're just basically floating back up again. Um, FOMC minutes today at 2 p.m. I don't know if you guys mentioned that yet, but that'll be something that the market will want to pay attention to as well. Do you have any expectation there? Um, my guess is, you know, they're going to guide to stay hawkish because they can't afford to to look weak and they, they don't want to see the stock market continuing to rip too much. But but I, I'm still in the camp that the Fed is done hiking. I, I think even with an uptick in inflation, there's too many now, especially with China. Right. I mean, China as the second biggest economy in the world, they're going to influence all of these major global economies in some way. And I think the Fed's starting to recognize that there's a six to 12 month delay still in the Fed funds rates, hikes that they've done. And then you have China now in real trouble based on their economic data. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I would push back. I mean, I would love to get everybody else involved in here. I think the Fed continues to tighten because I think they have two main mandates, which are inflation and labor. And the labor market is strong. And I don't think they're going to see any reason to stop raising. But do you think until unemployment dramatically rises? And I, I mean, I've been sort of you know, even when they paused, we had the pause versus pivot argument here. I just think the Fed is going to remain hawkish and keep tightening. And, you know, it's we have the don't fight the Fed saying at no point has the Fed itself given an indication that they're going to stop. They've said to, to their credit, whether you agree with what they're doing or not, I generally don't. They've never stopped saying exactly what they're going to do and have continued to do it. So I just don't think they've given any indication that they're ready to pivot. And honestly, if they do pivot, uh, watch out below because the pivot always comes before the stock market crash. Yeah, that's absolutely um, correct. I mean, you know, hundred percent. That's that's right. It's the it's the uninversion of the yield curve that causes the markets to decline. If you read in between the lines on the Fitch documents where they downgraded the U.S. and downgraded the banks, the two things that they say that they they're considering downgrading the banks for is one is the increase in interest rates too fast and therefore the mismatch of assets and liabilities, which is the first thing that that was, that's what caused the Silicon Valley collapse. Second thing that they said is because they say that if you carry on increasing interest rates, you're going to get into, you're going to get, the US is going to go into recession. And so much more, how much more so after the China, the China news yesterday. Um, and so I think that we need to, we need to watch out, watch out for that narrative. Yeah. And I, I think one of the big things, too, is that, you know, I hope the Fed re recognizes this, but the higher they put interest, push interest rates, the more they're likely going to cause a credit event. Right. We've already seen the yen carry situation get kind of wacky. We've seen what the banks are going through right now. And, and I think there's there has to be. And, and again, I don't know what they'll end up doing. Maybe they do hike. But if they're not aware that they're going to break something at some point, then I think that's ridiculous. And yesterday, Cash Carry was out with comments and he was like making comments like, wow, I can't believe housing hasn't come down more like we're we're shocked that housing hasn't collapsed yeah, more with these say. and i'm like i'm like you're you're right right and i'm saying to the i'm like these guys are supposed to be the smartest people in the room and this guy's surprised that people aren't putting their mar their houses on uh, for sale when they're locked in at three percent to to flip into a new mortgage for a new house at seven or eight percent i mean it's like a it's like duh you know so it just it just honestly i just lose confidence in the fed like every time i know people are giving jerome powell congratulations for all that he's done but like let's let's see in six to 12 months where we are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. It's funny, though, to that people give them credit, but they cause the problem in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, God, break something on the on the way up and then uh, get credit for attempting to fix it on the way down seems uh, astoundingly absurd to me. But um, I think that if unemployment does start to rise and listen, if you have historically low unemployment, there's really only one way for it to go, in my opinion. And they've probably maybe they have tight. I believe they've tightened enough. I just don't think that they see it that way, to be quite clear. Um, but, you know, if people start losing their jobs, the housing market's going to start to see some wobbles, right? So I think that's a matter of time. I wouldn't say that the housing market is healthy right now. I would just say it's frozen. You know, you, you mentioned exactly the reason I've talked about it quite a bit. But, I mean, there's just nobody that uh, can either afford these high rates or is going to sell a house where they have a lower rate. So it just means that there's basically nothing happening and builders continue to uh, thrive. Jason, I saw you throw your hand up. Go ahead. 
Yeah, too easy. I, I've got a few things on the housing market. That's pretty much what I focus on as well with the macro side. I'm, that comes up a lot. You know, we heard it at the, the bottoms before where it's, uh, you know, if people can't afford these houses and the prices can't go up, but there are a lot of other ways that banks and governments make it easier for people to buy houses like we've seen in previous cycles as well. So, you know, although it does come up and, and logically it makes a lot of sense that it's just like, well, if, if people can't afford it and interest rates are up, this thing's going to come down, it's going to collapse. Uh, fundamentally, the real estate, the land market, which is what we're all talking about, whether we use the word housing or real estate or whatever, it's really the land value that increases. That is the, the fundamental support in the in the entire economy once that comes down everything's over and the reason why we didn't collapse in 2020 and uh 2022 is because the housing market didn't collapse you know we started to see that tick back up and so just going back to the point about uh, the the affordability issue um banks have uh, been able at least in the uk over the last several months they've done things like increase the mortgages rather than be 30 years they've push them out to 40 or 50. China has done a similar thing. Australia's done it in the past, not where they're actually extending it from a 30-year to a 50-year, but they make things so much easier. So they just, instead of the, you know, you see those comparisons of, um, okay, interest rates, are, uh, sorry, repayments are two grand a month and with these interest rate rises, they're, they're now three grand. All the banks have to do is just extend that time and those payments come back down. And that's how the cycle continues on. So everyone's sort of looking uh, to to the left and they're changing things on the right and you know that's that's how the market always misses it and we know yeah. that 90 percent of people they they just don't make money in the markets 90 percent of traders right. and investors lose because they just don't know what to look at so they, they yeah but specifically about housing on. though i mean yeah that may be what's happening in australia but they're not changing no, in no, the united in the states US. i mean we're now over eight percent i live in florida it's 8.049 percent right now i just pinned a tweet above i just threw out the math yesterday or two days ago just talking about a conservatively a 300k loan at 8% your mortgage payment is $2212 at 3% it was 1265 so you're talking about over 3 years a $340,000 9 $340,920 difference in the price of the house from effectively 800 to 450 i mean you're almost talking about the price of someone's house doubling with this interest rate rise over this short period of time exactly exactly and so what they do is change how you can repay it. They drop other areas of, say, deposits. They extend mortgage timeframes. They allow... This is all the stuff that's been done before and we just miss it because people don't have a memory of 20 years. You know, just, it's the same thing over and over again. Uh, other things that governments do is reduce the stamp duties, whatever you call it in the US, but in Australia, they call it stamp duties. They reduce the taxes. They make things easier and more affordable, so they say, to get into the market, especially when they come into presidential cycle years or, you know, we have uh, our own uh, elections as well. They want it to be more affordable because at the end of the day, the housing is probably one of the biggest issues. So if people are feeling comfortable and happy and, and um, yeah, basically uh, they're, they're feeling good about the real estate market, typically what we've seen in the past is that the same government remains in power. So they're going to do everything in their interest leading into the next few years. Obviously, next year is the election year to make sure that that remains on track as well. And that's why we're seeing these property prices go up. Banks around the world are doing the same sort of thing. And uh, governments will also do the, the same thing where they make it more affordable. So they say, quote unquote, to get into real estate. JCS, you got your hand up. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I'm, I'm, I know some of you, um, but I don't know all of you, so I'm not sure um, what your day-to-day -day activities look like. But I, I come from the perspective of an investor, someone who talks to investors literally every single day um, and, and pu putting money to work and allocating capital every single day. So for me, it's more about what's actually happening in the market versus maybe what should happen or what could happen or what I think might happen. And we just really, really overweight what actually is happening, right? So there's this misconception. I don't know who made it up about don't fight the Fed. For the record, that's a lie. The original quote from Marty Zweig was don't fight the tape, right? And that was rule number one is don't fight the tape. And I, and I think that that gets lost a lot. And you guys make, up, make some good points on what's happening in housing and everything like that. 
I mean, man, the difference between your monthly payments today versus what it was, it's like crazy. That's insane. But, you know, it's just math. It makes perfect sense. What I would point out is really the relative strength that we're seeing out of home construction stocks. Uh, Warren Buffett came out uh, with the latest 13F. You know, he continues to buy those. Whether you like Warren Buffett or not, it's not the point. It's just he sees something there. Um, And clearly, the market in general sees it there because the relative strength in home construction has been off the charts. So I would definitely that makes sense. But that makes sense if there's no supply that construction would do well. Right. I mean, people are going to build houses if they can't find one to buy. So there's nothing strange there. And, And but I would I would I would I would go wider. Right. So you make a good point. Right. No questions there. But it's really consumer discretionary in general. Right. So it's not like, you know, there's this one part of consumer discretionary that's doing well uh, and the other parts are not like you're seeing strength out of the whole space. So maybe there maybe it's not just that. Right. It's not that that's wrong, but maybe there's more to it than that. The other thing I would point out is, you know, a lot of people are always talking about crashes, market crashes, you know, the next huge collapse, 1987. You know, let's remember as investors, those are outliers. Those are very, very rare. Almost never, never happen at all. So there are people out there who are constantly looking for those these sort of events. And generally, they lose a lot, um, not just in, um, in, in, in their short costs. positions. They, Hold they on, not just in their short positions. Being in the, market. the opportunity cost, man, is off the charts, man, off the charts. Um, so here's what I would point out. If you think maybe that there is an upcoming collapse in the end of the financial system or whatever it is that your conspiracy theory might be, I would look at three charts. Uh, the first one would be credit spreads, right? Have, we've seen absolutely no stress in credit whatsoever during this correction over the last, you know, what, the new 52-week highs list peaked a little over a month ago. Nothing at all. In fact, credit spreads are as narrow as they've been. So I would look at that because if there's going to be a real, if there's going to be a real market correction versus just a digestion, a well-deserved digestion of gains after the greatest six months, after the greatest first half of the year in the history of the Nasdaq, right? If it's if it's not just going to be a seasonal correction, you're going to see it in credit. Because let's remember, over the last three quarters, fourth quarter last year and the first two quarters this year, it's the it's the most bullish seasonal period of the entire cycle. If stocks didn't go up and didn't do that well during that period, that would be incredibly unusual. So anybody who's surprised by the strength of stocks over the last three quarters hasn't studied their history. Now, with that same history, the market is supposed to be messy. The market is supposed to digest those gains during this period. And that's exactly what we're seeing. So if the market short term term was not correcting, was not a mess, that would be unusual. So again, I would look at credit spreads and see those widening. If things are going to start to get worse, you're going to see it in credit. I would also see point to both low volatility stocks. And consumer staples, which you can argue consumer staples are part of low volatility, but just generally speaking, you're not getting any flight to those areas at all. None whatsoever. So my suspicion is, my strong conviction is, you're going to see rotation into the most those more defensive areas, not just in the bond market, but in the stock market, if this is going to be a more severe correction and not just a normal, healthy, seasonal digestion. So I, w- I would look at those. So I just wanted to throw that out there and you guys uh, can comment if you want or ask any questions. I'm around. Wick, are you on the bull bear side? Where do you stand right now? And good to see you, by the way. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, thanks for inviting me here, guys. Uh, first of all, my favorite people got Scott up here. And um, I was actually born in Cape Town. So, uh, oh, he left. Uh, He's having some technical issues. He'll be back momentarily. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, okay. You know, it's a very interesting time in the market. Um, so for those of you that don't know me, I'm a, a technical analyst. And then what I do, my method is that I have friends that are economists that work for hedge funds. They give me heads up on the macro because I'm not smart enough to figure out the macro. And what I do is I look at the TA and look for confirmation. Um, a lot of the smartest macro guys, and I'm talking about guys that are in uh, Raul's camp, um, some of us think that we're going to have a blow off top and then we're still going to have a recession uh, as far as just in overall markets, right? Because if the stock market tanks, um, you know, it, it's a high, high probability that crypto is going to tank as well. OK, so from a macro perspective, that's what the guys are looking at. They think that they're going to keep raising Simon, your camp as well, Scott, as far as the rates. I think they're going to keep going higher. Um, the market right now, if you look at the S&P 500, I'm about to post it, but there's been a channel, a really strong channel that's been going since April, and that channel has just broken now to the downside. So I'm watching that. Uh, as far as Bitcoin, because um, I, know, I know there's a lot of crypto people in here that you're following, um, Bitcoin is interesting because if you go to the weekly chart, and I'll post this again, I posted it yesterday for those of you that want to check it out, but 
there's something called a volatility squeeze happening. And that's when price action goes into a long consolidation. And this volatility starts to build up and build up and build up. And then it needs to be released. And that's kind of where we're at right now. There's a volatility squeeze going on. What that does is it forecasts extreme moves that are about to happen. So um, I am bullish right now because the structure is still bullish. We're over that line. That's uh, 25,300. 25, I think that was the biggest. Yeah, for me, it was um, 25,212. That was the new higher high after the drop from 69. Exactly. And if you look just before that, we actually did that. The catalyst was a double bottom on the, on the charts. And uh, just like you, Scott, as soon as we got over that level, I became bullish, right? I actually saw the double bottom and I played a small position. I wish I would have played a bigger one. But that line in the sand for me kind of draws um, a bullish scenario, right? But we're, we're in this place of consolidation. And I do want to bring up one more thing that I am worried about, right? Because we've got this volatility squeeze. A big move is coming. But if you go to, let me see, I'm looking at the charts right now. If you go to November of 18, we're, and I think other people have brought this up too. I don't, I don't read a lot of Twitter but, um, or X, but I think people have brought this up before. The last time we had consolidation like this, we dropped from 6,000 to 3,000, okay? And that's the scary part when liquidity is so thin is that it doesn't take a lot to kind of, you know, move the market. Um, so I'd say watch out for that. Um, right now I've got a, um, a supply zone that ends at 36,000. So I think between this level and 36,000, we'll still have some issues. Um, also keep in mind the halvening is not till 2024. I'm a big believer in that. I've listened to Raul. I know that the halvening also coincides with the liquidity cycles. Uh, I believe in that as well. Um, I do 100% believe that somewhere in 2024, whether it's the middle, give or take three or four months, that we will go into that explosive bull market. I'm a big believer in the four-year cycle. So I'm just trying to figure out what happens until then. Um, one more thing that you want to want to focus on, Scott, is you want to look at the volume. Okay, you want to look at previous cycles and you want to look at the volume now. The one thing that hasn't come into the picture is volume. Volume is dead. Okay, um, I've got some parameters uh, that I watch volume on a, on, a, on a different scale, some different indications that I have, and um, that's the one. That's one of two pieces that I'm watching for this for this to go um, into the next bull market, and it hasn't come yet. Everything else is there, um, but just in the short term, just be careful with this volatility squeeze because one thing that I see that could get us above 36 is pretty much a springboard, Scott. You know what that is from uh, Wyckoff. That's of course. a drop. Yeah, spring. Yeah. Yep. Spring, yeah. We need to see lower prices to entice people to think that they uh, need to jump in and FOMO to push prices higher, which you know pushes prices even higher. So that's where I am, Scott. It's not a definite answer to your question, but I'm on the bullish side, um, but I'm very much watching this volatility squeeze and playing risk management in case we do get a springboard to catapult us higher. Can I, yeah, can sometimes, I you gotta go, sometimes you got to go lower to go higher. Uh, give me yeah, a can second, Jason. Can I, yeah, can I add ahead. to that quickly? When you guys are talking about going low, two things. When you guys are talking about going lower uh, before going higher, number one, it, it, it entices people at lower prices like you mentioned. But it's also uh, an implication of the puking, right? You got a lot of people getting stopped out and puking it out, and that's where the FOMO comes in after. So not just those dip buyers, but those who who then sold their shares and now got to buy it back. So it's a combination of those two, which is a yeah. great point. And you mentioned yeah, the lack of volatility and the lack of volume. And man, you could not be more right. When you look at the Bollinger Bands, the Bollinger Bands are as tight as they've ever been in history. So yeah. lowest spread, there's, there's lowest a spread big... on the weekly. On the weekly for people to, to be clear, that's on the weekly chart. Yeah, just there's just nothing. It's just completely dead. So in, in, in low volatility environments, in my experience, and not just in Bitcoin, you've seen it in things like natural gas and other areas as well, where you've got people picking up pennies, picking up pennies, picking up pennies, picking up pennies, leveraging themselves even more because volatility is so low that for them to be, for the, for the juice to be worth the squeeze, they got to get bigger, they got to get bigger, and then the steamroll comes in, right? And they get trampled when volatility comes back. I don't know if volatility is going to come back this afternoon, next week, next month, but one thing we know about volatility is that volatility mean reverts. We know. Oh, right. You get time-based you, you time capitulation rather than price capitulation, right? It's, it, Wick uh, mentioned, obviously, 2018 when we sort of sat between six and 10,000 for ages, and then finally we had the squeeze and it went down to 3,000. But the difference here in this case, just to be clear, 
we already put in what most people would view as a bottom. So structurally, it doesn't look the same because 6,000, it sat there on the way down and then dropped to three. We already somewhat did that in the 20s before dropping to 15. So I think his point is correct that we can see the volatility explode in either direction. But for it to be the same as that 2018 scenario, we'd be basically have to be ranging between 15 and 20 here and then dropping to 10. Right. I don't think that's the scenario that most people are watching at this moment. Eric Crown, where do you stand right now? Uh, we've obviously spoken quite a bit. And every time we talk, we say it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> and here we are with still the boring sideways market. <laughs> of course, it's always coming. So first things first, volatility is direction neutral. Um, just kind of... Uh carry off that uh, last conversation. Um, and I think it was JC who was saying this earlier, something that I kind of said, uh, I believe on this space about three weeks ago, which is, you know, the markets, um, generally speaking, I I'm looking for a bit of a corrective phase, we're going to enter into rotations, we're going to see a lot of the stocks that, uh, you know, the or the sectors that weren't super strong start to get rotated up here. NASDAQ's probably going to have a little bit of a short term bounce, but carry on sideways and downwards, maybe towards 14.5 or so hit my $15,000 target. So I figure, you know, a little bit of a bounce here as uh, people close is completely fine. Um, and that probably takes us into September, October. I mean, things are probably going to get more boring overall, to be quite frank with you. Uh, it's no secret that the summertime for traditional markets is usually a very, very quiet time. I know for myself, um, when I used to trade as a professional, uh, most people just take this time off, especially August, actually. Uh, you know, most people do have families after all, and the kids, you know, going to school and whatnot. I think this is kind of like the last time we can really take a vacation. So usually things start to pick back up around September, October area. I think just traditionally speaking, statistically speaking, uh, September is the most bearish month, followed by October. Most people think it's October for whatever reason. October. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There we go. Um, as far as Bitcoin goes, a little those bit numbers are skewed. Remember, those numbers are skewed a little bit with a couple of famous crashes. So keep that in mind. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, everyone remembers, uh, you know, everyone remembers the, uh, you know, the big ones. Um, but uh, but yeah, just in general, September actually is the worst month, I do believe. Um, anyways, uh, as far as Bitcoin goes, my model is a little bit different there. It's kind of it's, it's kind of its own thing right now, actually. It's uh, it's interesting to see because we don't see a decorrelation. Um, happen all that often. But basically, my model says that, hey, extreme probability, uh, upwards of 80% uh, of probability that Bitcoin does not go, go below 26,000 bucks on a closing basis before um, heading up much higher. I mean, it, it could be, you know, it could be that it already uh, put in a low here. But things are looking a little bit shaky, I would say, in the, in the more near term. Um, so I don't have super strong opinions on that as things kind of shift around, to be um, to be honest. But uh, but as far as things go, um, you know, does Bitcoin have another move to the downside? I look at that as an opportunity. Anything above twenty six thousand bucks. Yeah, right, right. Anything above twenty six thousand bucks is fair game. Um, the question is, do we you know, do we dump off a little bit more? You know, does it have, does it go for that quick move down to like twenty seven five or something like that? Uh, again, I don't have strong opinions on that. Um, you know, if I'm going off of my mo uh, off of my current model, um, it does say that if Bitcoin fails to go up in the next five to ten day spread, then the probability is going to shift back in favor of the downside. But it's it's really hard to trust things right now because volatility is at such extreme lows that uh, you know models just get. You know, th this is not what my model is kind of designed for. So that's kind of where yeah. I'm at right now. And uh, generally speaking, you know, still looking for overall upside yeah. into the end of the year. I'm not looking at the chart right now, but I I, I believe in 2021 that we had sort of that major quote-unquote crash in uh, bitcoin in september right kind of that you're talking about i think we went from like 50 to 40 or something and then on yep. as the clock turned october 1st it ran to all-time highs from like the low 40s or something like that yeah and so uh, literally on october 1st the uh, october move uh, of, of acclaim now wick go ahead just a quick question. So I heard you say that there's an 80% chance that we don't go to the downside. And just kind of curious, I never heard anyone put a quantifiable percentage. How are you, how are you quantifying that in your model? Yeah, so my model right now is actually based off of a couple of different things. But the big one that I'm giving for or 
the big one that I'm going off of for uh, unlikely to go under 26,000 bucks, and this, by the way, is quantified on a weekly closing basis, is based off of mainly, mainly the hash ribbons. Um, as we have seen a nice interplay between the hash ribbons uh, and Bitcoin long term. So the hash ribbons is actually more of a fundamentally based indicator. It's basically uh, a measurement of like minor profitability, you can kind of say. Anyways, uh, we just had a pretty significant cross um, on that uh, for miners no longer being in kind of big trouble um, as of this past week. And over the full history of Bitcoin, we've seen 15 of these happen. Um, of those 15, 13 did mark that the prior weekly low was the low before Bitcoin you know, generally went up and to the right um, over time. So these things can still take some time, obviously, but... Uh, you know, 13 out of 15, um, you know, I, I think is quite good. And, and to and to actually dial it down a little bit more, uh, one of those times was uh, into COVID. So that's, you know, you might call that a bit of an outlier. And then the other time was uh, it called a low. Yeah, it called a low in 2021 summer at 30,000 or 35,000, something like that. And then obviously Bitcoin came, uh, did make new highs from there. Yeah, made new highs and then came down, you know, uh, a bit later. So that's that's what that model was um, was going off of. Hey, thanks for answering that. So you're using uh, the ribbons, which is basically momentum. So you're basing it off of historical momentum. Okay, just wondering. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's really interesting, Eric. If you happen to have a tweet on that or anything, uh, feel free to pin it up above or, or DM me because uh, that's a really interesting. And I've also never heard that. Uh, David, do you haven't uh, spoken yet? Do you have any thoughts right now on what's likely coming next? Uh, no, I generally agree with the, the summertime lull comment. Oh, also, uh, one thing before I forget, sorry, I'm, I'm not David, by the way, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, on Friday, or at least, uh, it does seem that maybe this Friday, uh, there could be a decision on the SEC versus GPTC, uh, ongoing case. So, right. you know, that everyone thought that was happening yesterday, but it, obviously yeah, yeah. Didn't. No, usually these things happen on Fridays, um, but it's not guaranteed for this Friday, obviously. But, you know, f from now until like middle September, extreme likely that we will see uh, something decided there. Go ahead, so what would the decision? I mean, the question is, what would that decision actually do? I mean, the decision is it's kind of a nothing burger because even if Grayscale win the case, it's not like they're going to say, Gray, you've won the case and now there's a Bitcoin ETF next week. It just means that they can't deny it based on what they denied before. Oh, it's, I mean, I it's very know. simple, Ran. It's very simple. None of these things matter. It's all a game. It's all about perception. It's 100% all about perception. It doesn't need to make sense. But if uh, if the market wants to rally, it'll use that as a catalyst for sure. Don't take the yeah. bail away, Eric. Yeah, yeah I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I agree with that 100%. But I mean, there's even the uh, off- Surely we've all learned that the news does not actually matter for the most part. Yes, right? News follows the price. <laughs> hey, David, price you were creates speaking an error. Quiet, Eric. You might Go ahead, David. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity to speak. I, I generally agree with the summertime lull. Um, the legal and regulatory stuff. Go I just killed the vibe. The legal and regulatory stuff going on in the United States. Ren, when you... Uh, when you leaving South Africa and coming to uh, the States, Ran? Dude, I have a crazy? feeling they can't hear you. Hey, guys. Are you Eric, are Eric, John, can you hear David? Can anyone hear me? I cannot I hear, can't David, hear him. Oh, no, I can't hear David. David, I'm, gonna, oh, I'm listening to David, and you guys keep jumping in. And I, I, I hear David fine. Okay, I'm going to remove David and bring you back okay. up, okay? Uh, go ahead, Ran. Yep. I'm avoiding the U.S. like a plague. What, what am I going to do in the United States? It, it's, uh, it, I mean, I, I spent time there, and I, I must say, I really, really, really didn't enjoy it. I, I didn't enjoy it. There are too many, too many rules, too much non-clarity of the rules, specifically in our industry, too much enforcement of ridiculous rules, too much litigation, too much fighting between, the, or too much, too many arguments between the left and the right all day long. It's uh, not the kind of environment that I enjoy. I enjoy, I enjoy freedom, and having, you know, the and being allowed to do what you want to do, uh, I enjoy the land of the free. And uh, I don't know, I found the U.S. to be the exact antithesis of that. If you turn off the news, none of that is real, by the way. I mean, I don't... Put your hand on your heart. On Put basis. your hand on your heart. Put your hand on your heart and tell me that you believe that the U.S. is land of the free. Oh, I'm yeah, I, 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 I haven't experienced any of those it. things you said. All those things you said, I haven't experienced any. I've lived here. My family came from Cuba in the early 60s. I've lived here for 40 years. I haven't experienced any of that. I do anything I want. Nobody I talk to is talking about politics. Ran, Nobody. Ran, I, 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 Ran, you, this is David Tower. Are you in Miami? Or are, you, are you in Florida? Are you in Florida? Because there's, there's a caveat. Florida is maybe different. 
I'm in yeah, the I'm suburbs outside of I'm in the suburbs outside of New York City. We could all uh, say the uh, same about South Africa. I mean, the things we hear on the news about South Africa makes not a lot of what of not not. No, I mean, um, visit, I, I mean, there's a big difference between what you hear on the news and what you know what you what you experience when you live here. And I can tell you, I've lived here for a long time, and I think it's 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 an amazing country. And again, I, I, you know, it's very different when you when you don't live in a place. I lived in New York City. I lived in Miami, and I, I, and I've lived in Cape Town, and I just prefer Cape Town. Scott, can you hear me now? I can hear you. Can everybody else hear David? Yeah. Okay. Yes, sir. So, so great. Ren, great. Go ahead, Ren, David. Ren, I, ge- I generally um, I like your point of view. Um, however, uh, without the United States, I, I don't believe cryptocurrency gets to its maximum potential, uh, or even close. I agree. Close I agree. But you'll agree. So, so you agree with me though that you'll, you'll agree with me though that the environment in the United States is probably the worst environment outside of China. No, I won't. I, you won't, know, I won't go uh, that. I won't go that far down. It's a tough environment, right? Forget, forget the adjectives that we use, right? For, for a second here, our political system and therefore our regulatory system, unfortunately, is at total gridlock. Um, and so therefore... Always, right, always, right, no problem. always. Yeah, that, that's, that's the state of the modern United States. I'll agree with that. And so therefore, we're going to need some, you know, some more activity, some more time in order to break the logjam. And I'm so... I, I'll apologize on behalf of the United States to you and all the foreigners that are waiting for the logjam to be broken. Uh, but it's just the way things roll here, uh, and so we'll we'll I'm not we'll have to be patient. Yeah, but uh, 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 can you can you name can you name one other country other than China that has a worse economic a regulatory environment for people in crypto? I mean, just it's simple. Can you name one that has a worse regulatory environment? Than the, the 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 U.S. and China for crypto. I, I'll, 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 I'll indulge you and I'll say no. But but the more important point is is that needs to be weighted against the fact that do can you name a bigger economic powerhouse in the world that is going to make or break crypto in the long run? And the answer to that one is yeah. No. It, it, I'll tell you. I'll tell you when 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 if and when they do that. I may consider coming back to the United States because I have the option. But right now, I think it's the worst place in the world to be if you're Yeah, but, aren't, but aren't, well, here's the thing. Aren't, we're already seeing the vanguards and the fidelities and the black rocks and everybody start to step in. There's no other country in the world that has such powerful companies with the ability to take crypto to the next level. No country is even close. Answer, so answer while the United my, States might be question. taking, while the, while the United answer. States might be taking their nice sweet time, they're doing it right, and they're the only country in the world with the powerful companies to actually make it happen. So no answer other country even answer, has that potential. Answer my question. Is there any country that you know of, other than China, that is, has a worse regulatory environment right now if you are in crypto? Because I'm no in other crypto. company, But no other country has the potential. There's zero okay, but, countries but, but, in the world okay. outside the United States with the companies to be able to take point, crypto to the next level. What's the point zero. of having potential if you can't act on it? Well, they're acting on it. We're already seeing it. I have potential to be an Olympic runner, but I can't act on it, right? You don't have that potential, by the way. I don't even know you, but you definitely don't. Um, and uh, the, the bottom line is we're already seeing it. It's, ha- it's literally happening before. It, it might not be at the pace that you'd like to see it at, right? And for that matter, I'm with you. I wish it happened faster, too. But that's not the point. It is happening. You, you know see? what? The problem is, the problem is, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to be honest, the problem is when you've only lived in one country and you've only lived in the United States and you don't have a point of view of living, and not visiting, because visiting is very different. But once you've lived somewhere else and you see the difference of what it's like to live in the United States versus living somewhere else, why do you think all the, the crypto people are leaving and going to Dubai? Because they realize that if you're in crypto, Dubai is actually a much better place to live. They don't have the patience and they're welcome to leave. Go. I'll help you pack. Go. Yeah, you say you say that you say that, and from your tone, I can I can I can probably hear that you haven't lived outside the United States. Am I right? Lived. It's, 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 I, lived. I I've lived in plenty of places from the United States. My family's from Cuba, right? So, okay, but have you lived? So, hold on a second. So, States? understanding understanding just how free it is. I mean, I, my family's from a communist country, literally. So I'm not saying that South Africa is a bad place. I'm not hating on South Africa. I'm, I'll hate yeah. on the Pinotage. I can't get behind the Pinotage. But the uh, the steen is very good. I really like the wine from there, except the Pinotage. Have you lived? Have you lived outside the United States? Yes or no? I, I personally have not lived outside the United States. I don't okay. know how that's relevant. Then, 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 then let me be honest and say that you're not qualified to answer the question because you have. But we're talking about that's not the conversation. We're talking about how in the yeah. United States. 
the United States, there's only one country that crypto can be taken to the next level. It's the United States. Whether I live in Afghanistan or South America is irrelevant. The United, there's name one country that has the company oh, that can do that. Uh, JC, I tend to agree with you on the being patient side, but there's plenty of other countries that can take crypto to the next level. Not name the one. States. Name one. Go. China. <laughs> Literally, like India. Right. Okay. If China, if China India. opens the doors wide to crypto, India's not going to do it either. It will be a drop in the bucket. India is more progressive in the United States. India is more progressive in the United States, believe it or not. India doesn't have the companies. They might have the amount of people, maybe, but they don't have the companies like BlackRock, like JP Morgan, like Fidelity that are in the United States. Those are the companies that are going to take it. They're in America. I lived in the United States for two and a half years, maybe even longer. I've lived in other places around the world. And I, I get your point of view, because for someone who hasn't lived on the outside, that's all you know. But once you've been on the outside, you realize what I realized, and that is that I think the U.S. is, in, is now in its downward trend. It has made, in my mind, some, gra- some grave errors in, in policy and some grave errors. And as a result, I think that the heyday for the United States is finished. So, yes, you can say, you know, it's, it's the biggest and the best, but... The biggest and the best when they become I mean, complacent. When they become complacent. And hold on, and for the record, for the record, I don't care at all whether it's the United States no or Europe. Take the U.S. I'm not from the U.S. I'm obviously from. Right, that's my point. I don't care either way. If it's not America, that's fine. Uh, uh, for example, I'm a sommelier. Europeans make way better wine than the United States. Like I'm not like an American homer. It's just a fact of the matter is that America just happens to be the country with the companies that are going to take it. That's it. All good. Well, also, the more hey, important thing is that America or the U.S. dollar is still the world reserve currency, meaning that big investors, they want to have their money here or not here. I'm, a, I'm an American living in Finland, actually. But, uh, but um, it's the best. Yeah. You know, the dollar investors. is the best. The dollar is the best of a bad bunch. When you're buying the dollar, you're buying the currency of a country that's in debt and will never, ever, 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 ever be able to pay the debt. Very similar to Argentina, actually. It doesn't matter. Very similar to Argentina. It's the best of a bad bunch. Let's call a fact a fact. Hey, so sorry for... uh, The U.S. has over 170 trillion in assets. Okay. Rent. Ren, Ren, so sorry for this little detour here that I started, man. I, the only reason why I was asking is because I was actually born in Cape Town. So I 100% agree with you. You've got Nirvana there. You've got the beautiful beaches, the beautiful women, the mountains. It's, it's, it's awesome. You can pay cops off if you get a speeding ticket. Um, I, I see what you're saying, man. But for me personally, I see it completely different. When I came here, let me put it this way. I would have never been able to amount to what I am here. In South Africa, I would have never had that opportunity. I agree. It, it, From that point of view, I agree. From that point, also look, you can't compare South African America. South Africa is a third world oh. African country. You can't, you can't compare. It. I'm just saying, for the people, I think how we got into this was people were saying, I said that that the US is the worst regulatory environment for anyone in crypto, other than China, and I think that's how we got into it. That's you can't right. compare the you can't compare the opportunity that you have in the US to the opportunity you have in the the southern tip of Africa. I mean, that's not. Yeah, we, we, I'm here for different reasons. I'm here for lifestyle reasons. Yeah, no. I mean, Rand, listen, Rand, a lot of I would a lot of us I think Rand, on this JC, call would like second. to live in South Africa. JC, uh, Rand, when I told you, uh, when you told my wife sitting at dinner that you guys couldn't get packages delivered to your door, it was literally over. Yeah, no, no, we don't didn't have, even have a fighting chance. You're like, she said, I don't you know, know, to a... <laughs> I mean, I mean, look, there's some people that live on islands in Thailand. So it's, it's it's a case of you know, it's it's a case of, of what kind of lifestyle you prefer. You trade off one thing for another. But anyway, I mean, again, for me, South Africa is a better place to live than the United States. It's not for everyone, as I say. But I mean, yeah, let, let's get back to crypto. I mean, let, let's get back to a crypto discussion. Yeah, and I think that the regulatory discussion is really important because I think you're absolutely right. But I think what people are missing is that we are entering a new election cycle and that the regulatory regime has overreached. And there's a consensus, except for in a very small part of the United States, that that uh, is the case. So I, I do think the pendulum has finally swung so far in the other direction that it is coming back. And I, I don't want to believe that there's no hope for decent regulation or sensible legislation in the United States. You need to get the Democrats out. End of story. The Democrats need to leave. I I, I don't disagree. And the funny thing, though, it's not just Democrats. It's a very specific part of the Democratic Party. I mean, you've sat here and listened to Richie Torres, who's a Democrat from the South Bronx in New York City, who's extremely crypto favorable. And there are also others. The problem, as he pointed out, is a gerontocracy more than it is a bipartisan issue. 
It's that the oldest people are in control of the Democratic Party and they're too old to understand. They're threatened by everything that they don't understand. They're threatened by new technology. And so I'm encouraged by the fact that, yes, we need to probably regime change and party change. But eventually the old people will be gone. We will not have 90 year old Diane Feinstein for much longer. Right. Uh, but not you'll get ninety-year-old. But you'll get ninety-year-old somebody else. I mean, if, if I mean, if I look at if I look at where the U.S. is, you got Joe Biden, who's who's potentially up for re-election if he can make it that far. You got Donald Trump, who's not very different from him. These are you're talking about dinosaurs right in the country. I mean, you got people like Mitch McConnell. I mean, come on, this is this I right? Think, I do think that pendulum the biggest will swing though. Maybe I'm an optimist, but I think that pendulum will, will swing. Listen, I agree you with see, you. See, but in other countries, disaster. in other countries, it's already swung. In other countries, it's already swung, and that's that's the difference. The U.S. is stuck in these old ways. In other countries, I'm not, and I'm, again, I'm not. I'm saying, for as long as the U.S. carries on like the U.S. is going now, there's no way that it's going to emerge as this big powerhouse. It is riding on the petticoats of its old success, and it's bleeding out. It's bleeding out. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard not to agree with that. And also, I think there's a port, important differentiation before we uh, before we shut this down. Uh, what JC seems to have dropped, what he was saying about the biggest companies in the United States, you guys were somewhat talking past each other, right? Yes, we do have the biggest com- companies for adoption, but that does not mean that we have a favorable regulatory regime, right? So you can have two of those things be mutually exclusive and true. Yeah, and I do believe I think- what you say. Yeah. I think I think if there was any company that is going to go down in history as a company that changed the 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 trajectory of the United States, I think that you know obviously you're going to get like companies like Tesla and that, but I think I think Coinbase is going to be hundred percent go down in history. It's going to go down in history as one of the companies that actually changed the United States. And why? I mean, I spoke about it actually on my show. I said it's like the, 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 it's the game of the tort- the tortoise and the hare. So Binance ran out like like the hair and, and Coinbase was more like the tortoise. So today Coinbase gets um, derivatives approved. Binance is pretty much out of the US for all intents and purposes. Yesterday yesterday we heard that in Canada, uh, Coinbase announced that they, they you know they're in Canada officially. Um, I think they were there before, but I think they made some kind of announcement. And at the same time, Binance has left has left Canada. So I think it's a case of the US uh, uh, Coinbase will go down in history as one of the companies that really, really, really changed the trajectory of the United States because they systematically, hopefully going to systematically break down all these walls for us. Yeah, I agree. And we just have uh, added Benjamin Cowan to the stage and he and I spoke. I just want to circle back before we end to the actual price action, the expectation, because he has a pretty uh, compelling thesis that we discussed at length yesterday and he, he had here. Ben, how are you, man? Pretty good. How about you? Sorry to just sort of jump in here at the end. No, I invited you. <laughs> Please. So I, I would love to. You, you kind of missed earlier, but we were we were sort of sorting through what we're looking for to happen here, and kind of ironically, you and I yesterday morning were talking about the fact that uh, we would likely see a lot of altcoin pain if Bitcoin started to drop or if Bitcoin started to rise to some degree, and then we saw literally like a four hundred dollar Bitcoin move, and altcoins went down five to fifteen percent. Right. So do you right. think that that's a, uh, a foreshadowing of what would happen if we saw a bigger move? Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of it's sort of going up the risk curve, right? Like the S&P drops a couple percent, Bitcoin drops a few more, altcoins drop 10 to 20. And, and we, we talked about that seasonal correction in the S&P around this time every pre-election year. Uh, it seems like we're getting that. I think Apple's down like 10 percent or something. Um so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's actually playing out very similar to to past pre-election years. And, and if it continues to play out like prior pre-election years, um, you know, you could still see the S&P. Um, I mean, it, I mean, it, the, the correction might not be over by it, uh, but it doesn't mean that it has to go down right for the rest of the year. But even if it doesn't, uh, you, you could still see, you know, Bitcoin and the altcoin market get, get hit pretty hard, just like they normally do uh, in the second half of the of the pre-having year. So. Yeah, I mean, I think if Bitcoin, if Bitcoin were to get a weekly close, you know, below like 28K, then I, I, I think you would see a pretty drastic drop um, in alt Bitcoin pairs. I think you would see a pretty drastic drop on, on the Ether Bitcoin pair. And then we should ultimately see the dominance of Bitcoin go higher. And I, I do want to just quickly say one last thing. And, 
And that is on TradingView, they're actually currently changing how they're calculating the total market cap. So if you look closely, you'll, you'll occasionally see gaps up and gaps down uh, by certain metrics. So just be aware that if it's changing, sometimes like you might see total three go up by a few billion, but it's just because they're including new coins into the, into the metric rather than actually the, the altcoin market actually having gone up. Gareth, you and Ben talk every Monday, right? You guys have a show together. Are you in line with that thesis, basically, or do you guys uh, argue and fight? <laughs> <laughs> well, we fight all day long. No, I'm just kidding. No, we're pretty in alignment overall. So, like, and, and I'm in, I'm more on the stock market side. He's more on the crypto side. But I think we merge with the the macro data and then how the stock market influences. And even though we've seen a little bit of a bounce back today, I'm still in the camp that. Um, all the macro data except for the jobs have started to weaken significantly. And ultimately, we probably do have more downside of a correction. And again, I, you know, we were talking earlier about, is it going to be a crash? No, it's not. I mean, markets very rarely ever crash. And usually the beginning of a down cycle is slow because you have buy the dippers that have been conditioned by the dip. So it keeps the market from really coming down hard. If you look in 08, 09, the stock market, the, the fastest sell-off occurred right at the end because everyone was panicking and throwing in the towel. And that could be something we see in crypto and kind of a good indicator of of um of when a bottom is fully in at least in the altcoin market we'll have to watch and see but i do think that that if you do see a stock market movement to the downside then best of breed is going to be what does the best and bitcoin and the crypto markets is best of breed 100 percent agree you only have to go back to march of 2020 to see that happen right i mean bitcoin bottomed on i think march 12th broke below four stock market bottom 10 10 days later and then everybody touted this humong humongous move by the stock market of 2x while bitcoin went up to 69k and pulled to 17x right so when you are convinced that bottom is in i think the bottom is already in but i do think we're going to get another sort of capitulation wick not that low but you know another shakeout where do you want to be well, one thing I wanted to bring up too, and you guys may have discussed this earlier, but you know, like there's been so much hype about how big the spot ETF approval in the U.S. will be, and then yesterday we had a, an approval in Europe, right, in Amsterdam of a spot ETF, and literally Bitcoin did not budge. And I know it's not like it's not the U.S. I understand that, but the narrative, at least in crypto, is like, oh my God, this is going to be the savior. Like this is this is the Lord Savior coming down when we get this approval. And I really, honestly, thought there'd at least be a little uptick on that. And and there wasn't. And so does it now make us question whether that spot ETF is going to have as big an impact as everyone thinks it will? I think BlackRock is BlackRock, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's a different ballgame, but it, it is a point well well taken. Rand, anything else uh, we need to cover here before we go? I, I do need to tell everybody, you see that big red uh, icon up there, the avatar on stage, crypto underscore town hall. We will. I know we keep saying it, but uh, we're uh, we're scattered. But we are going to start actually hosting these Twitter spaces from that account. So we absolutely need you to follow it and then set the alert so you know when the spaces start from there. That's something we're committed to getting done in the next few weeks. Ran, you want to talk about uh, the Bybit trading competition that we have pinned above? I'm, uh, I'm uh, surrounded by three-year-olds and four-year-olds. You mean on stage or do you mean oh in, in your real life? Like, wow, listen to that. What the okay. fuck is going on there? Oh, you, Eric, you know what I'm <laughs> having right? kids. When you have four, when you have four kids under eight years old, this is what sounds like World War Three. I, I was going to say crypto must be really bad if Iran had to open up a daycare. <laughs> or or if he had to call all of us three and four year olds because uh, that's what he's surrounded by here on stage all right everybody that's uh, all we got of course please do check the pin tweet above the bybit trading competition eight million dollar prize pool and massive giveaways i'm a terrible at doing these uh these pitches so i just read them in my uh radio voice and act like it's an advertisement uh we will be back tomorrow of course guys thank you so much for joining peace out